Good morning and welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Chris Jimerson, Minister for Program Development here at the church, and I have with me our wonderful lay leader, Mary Jane Ford. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person, and it's in that tradition that I invite you to turn to those around you and greet the holy among us this morning. It is also our tradition in Unitarian Universalist churches to begin our services by lighting a chalice, which is a symbol of our faith. Please say with me our words for lighting the chalice, which are in your order of service and up on the screens. At this hour, in small towns and big cities, in single rooms and ornate sanctuaries, many of our sibling Unitarian Universalist congregations are also lighting a flaming chalice. As we light our chalice today, let us remember that we are a part of a great community of faith. May this dancing flame inspire us to fill our lives with the Unitarian Universalist ideals of love, justice, and truth. Good morning. <clears throat> the opening words are by Adrienne Rich. My heart is moved by all I cannot save. So much has been destroyed. I have to cast my lot with those who, age after age, perversely, with no extraordinary power, reconstitute the world. Unitarian Universalism is a faith without creed. There's not a strict set of beliefs that we all have to sign on to. So sometimes we get asked, well, if you don't all believe the same thing, what holds you together? Well, I think there's a lot that holds us together, and one of those in our church is our mission. It's our common purpose, and we put it on our wall, and we say it together every Sunday. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. If you want to know more about what we mean by beloved community, there's a great description of it from the Martin Luther King Center on a poster on the wall in our fellowship hall. And to deepen our reflection on the meaning of beloved community and the challenges we still face in trying to build it, each week we've been asking folks to consider something that may be outside your normal realm of experience. Today I want to share with you the story of Kevin. Kevin was 17 when he fled Honduras with his sister. After their grandmother died, they had been left parentless, and the gang MS-13 began forcing them to work for it at threat for their lives. When the gang told Kevin he would have to kill a stranger to prove his loyalty to him, that's when they made the decision to flee to the U.S. Kevin was captured at the border and placed into a shelter run by the Office of Refugee Resettlement, which is responsible for providing care for underage immigrants. As a part of that care, he was offered psychological counseling, which he understood would be confidential. He met with a therapist and talked about all of the things that the gang had forced him to do and forced him to witness. Little did he know that under a new Trump administration policy, his therapist's notes would be passed on to Immigration and Customs Enforcement, who would use it to declare him a danger to society and argue for his detainment and deportation. He has now been in detention for over 950 days as his legal case plays out. One has to wonder if they would have done the same thing to a teenager from, oh, say, Finland. 
What must it be like to have a vulnerable counseling session used against you in a legal setting? Well, as we struggle with this, let's remember that we don't need to immerse ourselves in guilt or shame. These can be counterproductive. We need joy. We need community to sustain our struggle to do justice and build the beloved community. There is beauty to be found in the struggle itself. The centering reading is by Reverend Chris Jimerson. It's called Grace. When she was a young girl, they told her that grace was only available to her, a child of original sin, through the forgiveness and whim of an all-powerful God. Then she sat with her grandfather as he was dying. She held his hand as she and the ones she loved stayed with him through his great passage, and she felt grace arise among them. Later, during her college years, she volunteered for the local refugee center, and one day she witnessed the counselor work with young children traumatized by war. She heard the children begin to speak their truths with one another in that language that is only fully understood by such children and she watched the counselor put his plans aside and let the children begin to heal one another. And she felt grace radiate between them. And as over and over again through her years, she witnessed this same emergence between and among people. She came to understand grace as something we co-create and sometimes something we allow to happen by simply getting out of the way. This is the time in our service where we breathe together. And breathing together, feeling the loving presence of those around us, we follow our breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater wisdom and strength, a place of resilience, that spark of the divine that dwells within each of us. And breathing together, we enter into a time of sacred silence together, remembering that human sounds and the sounds of small children are a part of the sacred silence in this congregation. Breathing in, breathing out, let us enter into that time of sacred silence together.
you're stronger than you think. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. What doesn't kill us makes us stronger. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. How many of you have heard these platitudes about human resilience? The problem with them, besides the fact that they're platitudes, is also that they center our resilience solely upon each of us as individuals. However, however, in reality, our ability to remain resilient in difficult circumstances greatly depends on communal relationships and social support. Now, that's not to say that they're not practical things we can do as individuals to build up our own personal resilience, and I'll talk about some of those later. It's just that too often we forget that when we face challenges, we don't have to face them alone. We have each other. We are a part of something larger than ourselves. As our religious education chaplain and communications coordinator, Bear, put in one of his wonderful weekly Faith Connections bulletins, these are the moments in which we are blessed to remember that we are a part of the great interdependent web of life upon which all things strum a rhythm of living in love, hope and sorrow and joy and pain and loss and newness. So this morning, as we consider the spiritual topic of resilience, which our religious education classes and activities have been exploring this leap year month of February, I want to start by stressing those relational, communal, and social aspects of our resilience. One group of psychologists who study resilience define it this way. Resilience is the process of adapting well in the face of adversity, trauma, Tragedy, threats, or significant sources of stress. It means bouncing back from difficult experiences. Now, however, Eric Greitens, former Navy SEAL, humanitarian author, and ex-disgrace short-term Republican governor of Missouri, but hey, wisdom can come from the strangers of sources sometimes, Greitens writes that we do not really bounce back to exactly who we were before. The parent who loses a child is forever changed. The 19-year-old who goes off to war comes back a different person than when they left. Greitens says that rather than bouncing back to who we were before, we move through our challenges. He writes, what happens to us becomes a part of us. Resilient people find healthy ways to integrate hard experiences into their lives. And especially in our most difficult situations, to do that, to do that, we most often need relationship with, we need the support of others. As I began what was supposed to be my final year of seminary in the fall of 2014, my world suddenly took a turn and, and became very, very challenging. My spouse, Wayne, had developed a debilitating and life-threatening illness. I'm happy to say he's doing well now, but at the time, it was very scary. My stepfather, Ty, was dying of congestive heart failure. We knew it was only a matter of time. We just didn't know how much time he had left. We were blessed that he actually lived more than a year longer than his doctors had predicted. I was so moved when he was able to attend my ordination here at the church just a couple of months before he died. 
And then on top of all that, the congregation where I was doing a part-time ministerial internship that was required as part of that last year of seminary was moving through a great deal of emotional turmoil because of abuses they had suffered at the hands of other ministers. I began to doubt whether I would be able to complete the school year and graduate with my friends and classmates. Now, the seminary was a long-distance program where I did much of the studying and work here, but I had to go to Chicago for intensive classes for several weeks, three times per year. With all that was going on in my life, it seemed a high possibility that I might not be able to be away at some point or that I might have to leave in the middle of classes if the worst happened in any of the situations going on back home. I also just wasn't sure I was going to have the emotional stamina to push through the hard work of seminary. Now, my prior years at seminary, I had served as the co-chair of the Student Advisory Council, and because of that, the school's president, Lee Barker, had asked in my final year if I would serve in a position that would be the student representative to the faculty team and to the board of trustees. I realized I was going to have to call Lee and tell him there was no possible way I could do that. I dreaded making that call because I was afraid he would be disappointed in me. Instead, as soon as I told him what was going on in my life, he said, forget the position. You're what matters. Let's talk about what you need. He gave me such a gift of grace because he stayed with me where I was as we continued the conversation. He didn't try to tell me everything was okay or that it would be okay because, of course, it wasn't okay and he couldn't make the promise that it would be. What he did do is tell me that the schoolwork would work with me to find ways around it if I had to miss class time or had trouble keeping up with readings and assignments. He offered to be available to me at any time if I needed to talk more. And as the school year went on, he helped me find a resilience that I couldn't possibly have found all by myself, a resilience that allowed me to complete that final year of seminary and graduate with my friends and classmates. What Lee did for me demonstrates what the research has found, that our resilience, our resilience is rooted in relationship in a number of ways. First, those positive and supportive social relationships, such as Lee offered to me, are key to our resilience. Here's what the, how the American Psychological Association puts it. Many, many studies show that the primary factor in resilience is having caring and supportive relationships within and outside the family. Relationships that create love and trust, provide role models, and offer encouragement and reassurance help bolster a person's resilience. So building and maintaining relationships and community, these are vital to our ability to weather life's inevitable storms. Next, finding a sense of purpose that involves altruism and working for the good of others is a second way that our resilience is rooted in social connections. Research has found, it turns out, that when we get involved in contributing to our communities, working for social justice, trying to create a better world, we actually benefit ourselves because in doing so, we are exposed to different perspectives and life experiences, and we find that sense of purpose. And these, in turn, help build our own personal resilience. Finally, 
Social safety nets increase the resilience of citizens in countries with strong social safety nets, such as paid parental leave and universal free health care. People are healthier and express greater life satisfaction. In turn, these seem to make folks in such countries more resilient when they encounter challenges in life. So, paid parental leave and Medicare for all, y'all. <laughs> now... While I'm still stressing that maintaining those social relationships I've been discussing is vital, I do want to talk a little bit about what we can do individually to maintain and build our resiliency. Jane McGonigal is a video game designer who, a few years ago, suffered a traumatic brain injury that left her with constant headaches, nausea, vertigo, memory loss, and a sort of mental fogginess. Her doctor told her that in order to heal, she had to avoid anything that triggered those symptoms. No reading, no email, no work, no running, no writing. Basically, she says, none of the activities that she loved in life. She found herself growing more and more depressed. She found herself having suicidal thoughts. So she decided to create a simple game she could play that might help her through it. She called the game Jane the Concussion Slayer and invited her twin sister and her husband to play it with her. It was a very simple game. It just helped them identify how to battle what she called the bad guys, anything that could trigger her symptoms like bright lights, and helped her to activate what she called power-ups, anything she could do to feel even just a little better, like cuddling her dog for a few minutes several times each day. Within a few days of starting the, the, the game, her depression lifted. She still had symptoms of the head injury for another year, but she no longer had suicidal thoughts. She renamed the game Super Better and shared it over the Internet. And she soon found herself receiving messages from around the world with people with a variety of medical conditions, some of them terminal, saying that the game had helped them face their challenges with much less anxiety and depression. So she got curious how such a simple game could be so helpful and devoured the scientific literature. She discovered what the game was doing was helping people identify simple activities that have been shown to contribute to four different types of resilience. I want to share with you a few minutes from a TED Talk that she did in which she walked her audience through some very simple activities we can do, even several times daily, that help build these four types of resilience, which she'll discuss in just a minute. Now... I want to invite you, as in the video, she talks to the people in her audience through the exercises, to join in with them and do the activities, too. So, everybody ready? This is your first quest. Here we go. Pick one. Stand up and take three steps, or make your hands into fists, raise them over your head as high as you can for five seconds. Go. All right, I like the people doing both. You are overachievers. Very good. <laughs> Well done, everyone. Now, that is worth plus one physical resilience, which means that your body can withstand more stress and heal itself faster. Now, we know from the research that the number one thing you can do to boost your physical resilience is to not sit still. That's all it takes. Every single second that you are not sitting still, you are actively improving the health of your heart, your lungs, and brains. Everybody ready for your next quest? I want you to snap your fingers exactly 50 times or count backwards from 100 by 7, like this, 193. Go. Don't give up. Don't let the people counting down from 100 interfere with your counting to 50. 
Nice. Wow. That's the first time I've ever seen that. Bonus physical resilience. Well done, everyone. Now, that's worth plus one mental resilience, which means you have more mental focus, more discipline, determination, and willpower. We know from the scientific research that willpower actually works like a muscle. It gets stronger the more you exercise it. So tackling a tiny challenge without giving up, even one as absurd as snapping your fingers exactly 50 times or counting backwards from 100 by 7, is actually a scientifically validated way to boost your willpower. So good job. Quest number three, pick one. Now, because of the room we're in, fate's really determined determine this for you, but here are the two options. If you're inside, find a window and look out of it. If you're outside, find a window and look in. Or do a quick YouTube or Google image search for baby your favorite animal. Now you could do this on your phones or you can just shout out some baby animals. I'm going to find some and put them on the screen for us. So what do we want to see? Sloth, giraffe, elephant, snake. Okay, let's see what we got. Baby dolphin and baby llamas. Everybody look. Got that? Okay, one more. Baby elephant. We're clapping for that. That's amazing. (laughs) All right. Now, what we're just feeling there is plus one, emotional resilience, which means you have the ability to provoke powerful positive emotions like curiosity or love, which we feel when we look at baby animals, when you need them most. And here's a secret from the scientific literature for you. If you can manage to experience three positive emotions for every one negative emotion over the course of an hour, a day, a week, you dramatically improve your health and your ability to successfully tackle any problem you're facing. This is called the three to one positive emotion ratio. It's my favorite super better trick, so keep it up. All right, pick one. Last quest. Shake someone's hand for six seconds or send someone a quick thank you by text, email, Facebook, or Twitter. Go. good. Looking good. Nice, nice. (laughs) Keep it up. I love it. All right, everybody, that is plus one social resilience, which means you actually get more strength from your friends, your neighbors, your family, your community. Now, A great way to boost social resilience is gratitude. Touch is even better. Here's one more secret for you. Shaking someone's hand for six seconds dramatically raises the level of oxytocin in your bloodstream. Now, that's the trust hormone. So, just these simple activities, repeated enough, can build our resilience. And if her activities aren't workable for someone because of a disability or such, finding some simple way to challenge ourselves in each of those four areas of resilience will likely still have the same effect. So those four areas are physical, mental, emotional, and, of course, social. Now, have I harped on the importance of spiritual practices yet this Sunday? For those of you that are visiting and may not have seen me preach before, I have committed to talking about spiritual practices every time that I preach this year. So I have it today. So here goes. It turns out spiritual practices, meditation, prayer, gardening, gratitude, journaling, and the like, engaging in regular spiritual practices builds our resilience. Makes sense, right? And there are some other activities that help us build and maintain resilience that we can do and be aware of. Allowing ourselves to experience joy. This is perhaps even more important during our most challenging times and hard to do sometimes. Immersing ourselves in that which we find to be beautiful. Humor. 
and laughter. In fact, there's therapy called laughter therapy now where even when we're depressed, we force ourselves to laugh, and there's studies that have shown that it elevates our mood if we do so. The arts, music, poetry, singing, and finally, engaging our creative side in whatever ways we can find. I think sometimes we tend to think of resilience as always meaning being tough, having grit and determination, and that can be part of it. But like those platitudes with which I started, that's not all of the story. Sometimes resilience means allowing ourselves to feel the grief and rage and sorrow and pain of our situations without falling into immobilization, without losing joy, laughter, humor, beauty. Sometimes, like the flag tree up on your screen, we need to muster the grace to bend but not break up against the winds of traumatic challenge or dramatic change. And my beloveds, we need each other to do so. Sometimes we have to have the courage to ask for help. For after all, we co-create grace in our world together. We grow stronger together. We build our greatest resilience together. May this place and this religious community be a wellspring of spiritual resilience so together we may nourish souls, ours and others, transform lives in our midst and out in our world, and do justice within these walls and beyond them. Building the beloved community requires just such a great spiritual resilience. And thus we are blessed to have each other in this, our beloved religious community. Amen. Please join me in our words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Wait in the water, wait in the water, children, wait in the water. God's gonna trouble the water. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.